You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Galatians chapter 1, uh, so far we've uh, gotten through about the first 10 verses here. Uh, verse 11 really is a transition. We're going to read verses 11 through 24 uh, here tonight and finish out chapter 1. Uh, again, context here, Paul writes to the churches at Galatia, churches plural, uh, at least four churches we know of that Paul was a part of uh, before uh, that he's writing to. The problem that he's addressing in this case here in the book of Galatians is people who have distorted the gospel. They've taken the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind, and they've added works on top of it. It's good that you followed Jesus. Now you need to keep the Levitical law. Oh, so glad you've accepted Christ as Savior. You need to also be circumcised if you're a male. Oh, glad you're a believer in Jesus. That's good, but you also need to keep the Old Testament feasts and festivals as well. And Paul writes a letter to say, stop it, knock it off. Don't add anything to the gospel. You perverted the gospel, verse 7, he says. They've called you to another gospel, verse 7, he says, which is not another gospel. Verse number 10, he says, hey, I'm not, this is not a popularity contest. We talked, took a look at that last week. I'm not looking to become popular amongst you. I only seek to please Christ in this. Uh, verse number 11 is where we jump off tonight. But I certify you there, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you have heard of my conversation, that word conversation means the way that I lived my life. In time past by the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul's saying here, hey, if anybody wants to be a Jew, I was the guy. If anybody was super pumped up about Judaism, it was me. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles, I saw none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came unto the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by the face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Interesting as Paul sets out here, everyone has at this point that he is writing against has perverted the gospel. Uh, they've taken this gospel message, they've added stuff to it, they've, they've changed it. And Paul says, the gospel message that I got, I didn't get it from anybody. Verse number 11, uh, he says, it was preached not after man. Uh, verse 12, neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it. This wasn't secondhand information. I didn't get it passed down from anybody. Verse 12 tells us that he received it from Jesus Christ. So Paul received the gospel directly from Jesus. Now, this is an incredible story because if you know anything about the history of the New Testament and the history of the gospel, Jesus Christ was crucified. He had 12 apostles. One of them betrayed him. 
and hung himself and died. That left 11 apostles. The beginning of the book of Acts, after Christ has already ascended into heaven, he's gone. They have to replace Judas now, and they draw straws to find out who it'll be, and they have now a 13th apostle. But mind you, Christ is already gone. He's ascended into heaven. He's left us the great commission to carry out. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the work that we've been called to do. But Jesus is gone. But Paul now says, now mind you, again, after Christ is gone, now Paul begins to persecute the early church. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved, baptized, added to Jesus' church. A few days later, a couple more thousand get added to the church. And then every single day, people are being saved and added to the church. And Paul is part of the groups that come and persecutes the church. Mind you, Christ is already gone. The story of Paul, Paul's on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. He sees a bright light that he's blinded by and hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard to kick against the pricks. Paul, why do you, or Saul, why do you keep doing this to me? And Saul answers and calls Jesus Lord. We would say that that would be the Damascus Road conversion where, Jesus, where Paul accepts Christ as Savior, recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord, makes a commitment to follow him from that point forward. But, mind you, the voice that he hears is from heaven because Christ has already ascended. He's gone. But Paul, in this case here, purports to receive, have received the gospel not from one of the other apostles. He even says here, whenever I got saved onto the road to Damascus, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem to hang out with the other apostles. Paul would even tell us in uh, the book of uh, 2 Corinthians that he was an apostle born out of due time. Uh, that that he, his timeline didn't even match up with the timeline of Christ for him to be a follower of Christ during the days of that. He was actually a, a Jew during that time, opposed to Christ. So Paul receives the gospel directly from Jesus Christ himself, and the gospel is the declared, uh, declared in the story of Jesus. So we find the first four books of the uh, New Testament we would call the gospels, the first three we would call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they tell the same story from three different perspectives. There are stories and miracles that are recorded in the book of John that are not found in any of the other gospels. And so uh, the gospel of John kind of stands alone as its own uh, gospel account. Uh, it definitely uh, shores up some of the missing parts that would be in the other gospels. And when we say missing parts, we're not talking about parts of the Bible are missing. We have everything that we need to know about Jesus Christ in Scripture. We're not missing any parts of the Bible. The Bible is complete. Oftentimes people will say, well, we don't really know what happens to Jesus from the time that he ran off from his parents and was in the temple until uh, he actually begins his earthly ministry and calls his apostles. You're right, we don't. So there's probably about 20 or so years of Christ's life that are, are missing from the Bible. What happened? It doesn't really matter. Well, don't you want to know? Sure, I'm curious, but we don't have to, to make up stories or think that we've missed part of the Bible to, to do this. But the gospel is declared in the story of Jesus. When someone is seeking truth or searching for truth or even when they become a new Christian, I always encourage them to read through the book of John. Uh, the book of John is, uh, is so powerful, so packed full of such good doctrine. So much red ink is spilled in the gospel of John because you see Jesus begin talking about who he is and what he's done. John makes a very strong case for the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so I always encourage people that are new to their faith, read through the book of John. You'll find so much hope there. You'll find, find so many answers there. Early on in John, John chapter three, Jesus meets Nicodemus, a religious man, a teacher. 
and he begins to share the spiritual truths with Nicodemus. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. We begin to see the story of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. He even tells Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse number 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that believeth on the son hath life. He that believeth not on the son hath not life and the wrath of God abides on him. That's John three, wow. We begin to see the gospel message take shape here. But we really struggle with putting the whole gospel together with just the gospels. Uh, that's why sometimes when we refer people to the book of John, we then after them tell them they should read through the book of Romans. Sometimes uh, Christians uh, who uh, evangelize will have copies of John and Romans together, just those two books, and like a little pamphlet almost, and we'll hand those out because there's so much doctrinal gospel truth found in just those two books. And so the gospel is declared in the story of Jesus itself. Jesus Christ came and died in the place of sinners in order to pay for our sins, but our fuller understanding of the gospel is found in the writings of Paul. Hey, if all we have was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would be doing good. But Romans brings so much truth to the gospel. It brings such a fuller understanding of why we need a savior. Why do we need a savior? Aren't we decent people? Can't we just keep the, the ceremonial law? Romans puts that to death, puts that uh, argument to rest. Well, why do we need a savior? Because sin has passed upon all men for all men have sinned. That's Romans chapter five. And so we see a deeper understanding of the gospel through Paul's writings. Uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, which we've been going through on Sunday mornings verse by verse since uh, beginning of last year, tells us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but by the Jesus Christ, we have been made alive together, quickened together with him and so we really get a full understanding of the gospel in the writings of Paul. Where did Paul get all this knowledge from if he didn't get it from Peter? If he didn't get it from James or John, the other apostles, where did he get it from? He got it from Jesus himself. That's the, the mind-blowing part of this. So again, verse number 12, and it says, for neither received it of man, neither was taught it, by the re but was taught it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says in uh, verse number uh, 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't go talk to any other guy. Verse 17, he says, neither I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but went into Arabia and returned into Damascus. So he went to Arabia, to the desert, and then he also went to, to the city of Damascus, which he was headed to when he uh, met Christ on that road to Damascus. And verse 18 says, then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. What did Paul do in those three years? I believe he was preparing for his, the work and ministry that God had called him to. I believe he was studying a lot. I believe he was learning a lot. He was training a lot. Some people would go so far as to say that he was meeting with Jesus every single day for three years. We can't put that together from scripture, but I know this, Paul did not come up with all this stuff on his own. I know that for sure. He tells us that. And so we find so much doctrinal truth about the gospel in the writings of Paul if there were any expert on the gospel, we would have to defer to Paul and Paul's writings. Again, when we want to share our faith with someone, when we want to see someone brought to Christ in repentance, we always refer them back to the writings of Paul. When somebody says, I think I can make it to heaven because I'm a good person, we refer them to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says that, uh, that it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When people say, well, I think I'm, I'm trying to get there, 
We refer him to Paul's writing to Titus where he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. You talk about an expert on the gospel, it was Paul. And so when Paul sees people messing up the gospel, I can only imagine it gets on his every last nerve that he has. And he's like, oh, no, no, we're gonna set this right. I didn't get this message from man. I wasn't taught this by Peter or the other apostles. I received it from Jesus Christ himself. When I, when I saw Jesus and he taught me these things, I spent three years before I ever went to Jerusalem to even talk to Peter. So again, Paul is making very clear who his authority is here. And again, as a side note here, uh, the Catholic Church would say that Peter was the first pope and that he was the go-to guy, I think Paul would definitely disagree, and I know that Peter would definitely disagree that he was not the first pope. Uh, Peter even says in 1 Peter, I am also an elder. I'm just another pastor, just like the other pastors that you have. And if Peter had been the pope or the head of Jesus' church, as the, the Catholic church or other religions might claim he were, in this case here, Paul is saying, I didn't go talk to him, I talked to Jesus instead. I didn't get this from anybody else. There is no hierarchy when it comes to the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and he is in first place. Paul no doubt had the gospel for sure, but now he accepted the gospel and was saved. We now begin to see the power of the gospel in Paul's life. He was a persecutor of the church. He tells us in verse number 13, for you've heard of my conversation, the way that I lived my life in the time past by the Jews' religion, that how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He was an enemy of the church, but now he has been saved. Now his life has changed. Now he begins to spend three years in the desert preparing for the life that God's called him to, spending time with Jesus Christ post-ascension uh, uh, post Jesus Christ, we sometimes refer to that as. Christ, after he's already ascended to heaven, comes back and teaches Paul. How did that work? I don't really know. I just know what Paul said here. After that, three years, then he went to Jerusalem. Now he wants to see the other apostles. He now makes his way to uh, talk to Peter and James, in this case here, are the only two apostles that he finds uh, in Jerusalem. He spends 15 days with them, and then he begins to travel on and preach in other churches, telling him about what Christ has done in his life. Now, this is a really good time to pull over to the side and give you a little bit of biblical teaching when it comes to apostles. The Bible gives us clear indications as far as what an apostle is and what an apostle is not. Uh, some of the characteristics of an apostle, they should have seen the Lord personally, and been able to testify of him and his resurrection from personal knowledge. Uh, again, some scripture references. If you don't have time to write those down, I'll be happy to give them to you later. But these were people who saw Jesus with their own eyeballs. It wasn't a secondhand account of what Christ might have did or what Christ might have said. These are people who were with Christ themselves and could actually testify of his death, his burial, and his resurrection with their own eyes. This was really important for apostleship. Next. They must, who have, must have been immediately called to that office by Christ. Jesus Christ chose his apostles by hand. Uh, we saw this in our theme verse for the year. He, he found Peter, James, and John. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he called out his first apostles there, Peter, James, and John. He selected them personally. Even after uh, he had uh, ascended into heaven and they chose the 13th apostle, uh, they they drew straws. They said, even God is sovereign over the drawing of straws. So this person was selected by God's own hand uh, to be an apostle as well. Next, another qualification was that when they spoke the word, 
They were infallibly inspired. Now, again, this comes to public teaching and writings that they have, thus secured against any error or mistake in their public teaching, whether by word or by writing. When they preached the word, when they wrote the word, it was 100% infallible because it was divinely inspired. It came directly from God. Now, when I say things from this pulpit that deviate from God's word, or if I uh, give an illustration, that's not speaking on behalf of Christ, it's giving an interpretation, trying to make sense of it. These guys, when they spoke the word, spoke with authority and infallibility. When Paul wrote this letter to the churches at Galatia, it was 100% perfectly inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And the, the letter that we have recorded the letter that we have preserved is the word of God and he spoke on behalf of God himself. Another qualification of, of the apostles was the working of miracles. You would often see these apostles that would work miracles and then they would preach the word. Uh, I'm currently reading through the book of Acts right now, my daily devotional reading. I'm greatly enjoying that. But I find every single time that there's a miracle performed, there's, it's always accompanied with the gospel message. And again, the working of miracles in this, in this time, again, this transitional period in the book of Acts was not limited necessarily to apostles. Uh, I was reading today, I think it was uh, Acts uh, 7 or 8, uh, where uh, Stephen uh, was one of the first deacons of the church. And Stephen had performed wonders, signs, and miracles. And they said that a crowd had gathered. And then Stephen just lets it rip and says, hey, Jesus Christ died for your sins. You who, Jesus, uh, you, who, you who crucified Christ, you who have his blood on your hands. And the Bible says that they stuck their fingers in their ears and actually bit him. And that's heavy stuff. I've had some bad messages before. I've had people get up and walk out. Nobody ever tried to bite me because of it. Took him outside of the city and stoned him because of it. So in this case here, working in miracles wasn't necessarily limited to apostles, but all the apostles would have had the ability to work miracles, whether it be casting out demons, whether it be uh, healing people along the way. But again, the messages were always accompanied with the gospel message every single time. Now, I say all that to say this, the role of the apostle was fulfilled. It served its purpose. It expired. And therefore, there's no plan in Scripture for apostolic succession. What that means is, Paul was the last apostle that was ever recorded in all of Scripture, and it stopped with Paul. Once the original apostles died, apostles' role was fulfilled in Scripture, and then we moved on from that. Because we have no apostolic succession plan, we don't draw straws to find out who's going to be the next apostle. Uh, we don't have a big uh, chart that we can download to, off the internet and blow it up into a poster size that shows all the apostles throughout history and we trace all of them uh, throughout the ages. We don't do that because the apostles' role has been fulfilled. When Paul writes to Timothy and Titus, who were local church pastors, he even told Titus, for this cause I left you in Crete so that you would set in order some things that are wanting. Titus chapter number one. I want you to go around to all these churches that don't have pastors and I want you to ordain pastors in every single city. Elders, the word elder is synonymous with the word pastor. If you ever see the word bishop, also synonymous with pastor. Elder, bishop, pastor, all three mean the exact same thing. Interesting, Paul didn't tell Titus to go find apostles. He didn't say, I want you to ordain apostles in every city because there was no need for that role. They needed local church pastors at this point to lead them and to guide them. I hesitate to say this, but I'll say it anyways. I cannot say it with 100% certainty, so I'll put a caveat on that. 
But 99.9% .9 of the time, you find a modern-day teacher that calls themselves an apostle. That is usually a pretty good indication that that person is a false teacher. Again, I can't say it with 100% certainty, but I don't know of any case where someone calls themselves a modern-day apostle that they are not a false teacher. And again, unscientific research on my part, I just type in the word apostle in YouTube and I watch the videos that come up and it's nothing biblical whatsoever. So again, not scientific, I can't say it with 100% certainty, I just say that is a major red flag when a modern day teacher would call themselves an apostle, it just doesn't fit. So also this goes with churches who are referred to as apostolic churches. Uh, again, I can't say with certainty that every church that calls itself apostolic would be a false teaching church. But when it comes to churches that call themselves apostolic, they're not necessarily known for biblical fidelity, true to the scripture. They're seeking out the signs, miracles, and wonders that came with the works of the apostles at the expense of the gospel message that was always attached to the signs, miracles, and wonders. And so they began seeking after these signs. And again, dangerous place to be to, in, a, in a church that seeks after signs because if you look at the words of Christ himself, he says, a wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. If you're looking for a sign, you're looking for the wrong thing. He says, I'm the Christ, I'm who you're looking for. So again, we need to be careful when you understand what an apostle is. We need to be careful of anyone who would call themselves a modern-day apostle. Now, let's break all this down into real practical application because the Bible is always applicable. When we read a story like Paul's, where Paul says, hey, I was a guy, I wasn't saved, I met Jesus on this road, I went to the wilderness for three years, I learned from Jesus himself, I went and talked to Peter, and then I went to these churches and preached, we always need to look in there for an application personally. What can I get from this story? Because the Bible's not just a storybook. The church that I grew up in uh, really missed the boat because I knew all the Bible stories, every single one of them, but I didn't know what it meant to me. I knew all about Noah and how he built the ark when it had never rained before, but I didn't know about trusting God when you don't see the end of it. Man, glaring application that anybody could have made, but I just knew about a story about a guy that built a boat when it had never rained before. So again, we always have to look for application. And we don't wanna read the Bible for information because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. We wanna read the Bible for application. What can I get from this? So here's where the rubber meets the road tonight. Here's how we can apply Paul's story to our own selves. Paul says, uh, verse number uh, 15, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. I love that because if you're a child of God, he has also prepared you from your mother's womb for a similar purpose. If you are a child of God, God has a plan for your life that he put into motion the moment that your mother got pregnant with you. God's plan kicked off for your life and it got set into motion. This is really important because many times we feel like we're just going through life waiting to die. I just gotta make it through this week. If I can make it to Friday, everything's okay. <laughs> For me, if I can make it to Monday morning, everything's okay. And we just make it week after week, week after week. Talking with a group of guys this afternoon and we talk about how sometimes we can only think as far ahead as the next seven days. We don't think about what's gonna happen five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now. I don't wanna be short-sighted and I don't wanna lose sight of the fact that God has created me to fulfill his purpose. 
Now again, it's my job and your job to find out what that specific purpose is. But we have a purpose that God has revealed for us. You take a look at verse number 16. Let's look at verse 15. But would it please God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace? Why did he call you by his grace, Paul? Verse 16, to reveal his son in me. You should underline those words in your Bible. If you're using an app, I would highlight that verse in there. To reveal his son in me. Why did God save you? To reveal his son in you. Why did God save me? To reveal his son in me. I don't even know why I'm, I'm even on this earth. So that his son would be revealed in you. So that other people can see Christ in you. I was sharing with a group of men at our uh, men's leadership weekend this past weekend. In my uh, notes that I go through and read through probably about every two weeks, definitely every four weeks for sure. I have this phrase written that I aspire to. I haven't made it yet, so don't think that I'm conceited when I say it. I haven't, I haven't made it yet, but I aspire to it. That when people think about Jesus Christ, they can say, I don't know what Jesus was like, but I imagine he was a lot like Anthony. I hear a statement like that, and I say, no way. I'm so far off. I've got so far to go, but that's what I aspire to be. And you say, well, that's, that's pretty bold of you. I think that's what Paul means by others seeing Christ in him. I don't know what Jesus was like, but I can imagine he's a lot like Tom. I don't know what Jesus is like, but I imagine he's a whole lot like Debbie. She's one of the most real people I know. I don't know. That's what I aspire to. That's God's plan for your life that he separated you from your mother's womb for that his son would be revealed in you. You call yourself a Christian. The word Christian by definition means little Christ or Christ imitator. I want others to see Christ in me, the way that I live my life. It means I got a lot of work to do, but it's worth it. The second thing that he says here, I love this. Take a look at uh, verse number 22. He went to these churches in these regions, in verse 22, it says, and was unknown by face unto the churches. They wouldn't know me if they saw me. They couldn't pick me out of a crowd of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only, they didn't know what I looked like, but they had heard my story, that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. That's such a beautiful picture of grace right there. Paul used to be an enemy of the church. Now he's a champion of the church. He used to destroy the church. Now he builds up the church. He used to persecute the church. Now he encourages the church. And people are like, oh, I got to hear this guy. Can you imagine inviting your friends to that? Hey, guys, Paul's going to be at our church. Like, the Paul? Like, I was in Jerusalem when he was there and Stephen got stoned. And Paul was like hanging on to everybody's coats for him while they threw rocks. That Paul's preaching in our church. Yeah, he's actually a follower of Jesus now. What? No way. And what happened to verse number 24? And they glorified God in me. What's God's purpose for your life? To reveal his son in you and that God would be glorified in us. That's it. I don't know how that works for you because God's created each one of us with a different role a different job, a different place in life, different people around us. 
I can't say specifically what job or vocation you're supposed to do, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that God's purpose for your life that he separated you from your mother's womb for is that Jesus Christ would be seen in you and that the name of God would be glorified and magnified through you. That I know with concrete facts. The question is, are you living out your purpose? How are you doing in that area? If you were to give yourself a report card today with A plus being the best and F being failing grade, what kind of marks would you get for Christ being seen in you? What would your report card be? Would it be a report card that you hang up on the fridge because you want everybody to see it? Would it be a report card that you could take to Chuck E. Cheese and get tokens for? I used to love that when I was a kid. You could just take it to Dairy Queen and get a free Sunday if you had more than two A's on your report card. Would it be that kind of report card? Or would it be the report card that you're going to stick in the back folder and hope that your parents don't open that one up? If you're going to get a mark for God being glorified in you, what kind of marks are you getting? A plus, couldn't do any better, couldn't improve at all. God ultimately glorified and magnified through me or could it be I've shamed the name of Christ and I'm embarrassed by the grades that I get and I hope nobody ever asks to see my report card. Know this. Here's the great thing about God and his grace and what he did for Paul. Paul at one point in his life would have gotten failing marks in every single category you can imagine. But you know what happened? Paul got a restart. When I was a kid, I always loved the end of the quarter. You know why? Because everybody starts off with an A. And the teachers would get up and tell you on the first day of the, the new quarter, everybody has an A starting today. And the work that you do from here on out will determine your grade for the quarter. I always liked fresh starts because regardless of what my grades were last quarter, I get a fresh start this quarter. And I'd always be excited trying to do my best at the beginning of that quarter because I had a fresh start. Here's the great thing about Jesus. You get a fresh start every day. Every day. And that's either greatly encouraging or greatly discouraging. You say, how could having a fresh start be so discouraging? How could that possibly be discouraging? Because what you did for Jesus six months ago doesn't count this week. Think about that for a second. I often talk with people about their walk with Christ. And, hey, tell me how your walk with the Lord is. Oh, when I was in college, I was a part of this Bible study, and there was a bunch of dudes that on Friday nights at midnight, we'd gather together, and we'd pray till like 4 o'clock in the morning. And, man, the power of God fell upon our dorm room while we were praying, and I've never been closer to the Lord in my life. How long ago was that? Ah, 15, 20 years ago. That doesn't count today. How's your walk with God today? Oh, well, I'm really busy right now. Okay, today. You had a crummy week last week. Guess what? Monday starts tomorrow. You had a great week last week. Guess what? Monday starts tomorrow. And this is not how I did. I'm not gonna be measured by my performance of six months ago, six weeks ago, or six hours ago. I'm measured on my performance going here forward. And from here forward, I want people to see Jesus in me, and I want God's name to be glorified in me because that's the reason I'm still here on earth. That's it. And when I fail to fulfill my purpose, I will be miserable, miserable. Did you ever try to eat with a spork from KFC? Miserable, absolutely miserable. You know why? 
because it's not a fork and it's not a spoon, it's a spork, right? You ever tried to cut anything with a knife and a spork? You can't, unless you only put it in a little bit of the way, and then you can't hold down what you're cutting to do it, right? You ever tried to eat ice cream with a spork before? You poke yourself in the back of your mouth or the roof of your mouth. It's a terrible utensil. I don't know who, did, who thought of it and thought it was a good idea. Why? Because a fork serves a purpose and a spoon serves a purpose. And when you try to use a spoon the way you would a fork, it doesn't work. And when you try to use a fork the way you would use a spoon, it doesn't work. And you try to put them together and it's just really, really crummy. You try to take an unsaved person and try to make them uh, act like a follower of Christ, it doesn't work. You take a saved person and want to live like the world, it doesn't work. And you try to be a follower of Jesus, but follower of the world at the same time, and you're worthless to both. Jesus himself says in the book of Revelation, pick a side. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Stop this stuff in the middle. So, do people see Christ in you? Is God glorified in you? That's it. How you do it, that's between you and God. For me, God's called me to be a local church pastor. I want people to see Jesus in me as a pastor, and I want God to be glorified in me as a pastor. God's called me to be a, a husband, a father. I want my family to see Christ in me, and I want God to be glorified through my family. I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I want God to be glorified in me, and I want Jesus to be seen in me. Hey, guess what? Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna get up and go to the gym. When I go to the gym, you know what I want there? I want people to see Jesus in me, and I want God to be glorified there. By the grace of God, after we dismiss here, I'm gonna go eat something for dinner. And if I decide to go through the drive-thru, or if I decide to go to a restaurant, or I decide to cook something in my kitchen, you know what I want while I'm having dinner tonight? I want people to see Jesus in me, and I want God to be glorified in me. That's the end of it. That's what it's all about. So, how you doing? If there's work to be doing, work to be done, join the club. But that is our purpose. We find that from the life of Paul. Man, what an amazing truth. Let's live for the gospel this week. Let's live for Jesus this week. Let's let other people see Christ in us and let God be glorified through us this week.